Wealth management is not just for the wealthy. Everyone is entitled to their best retirement possible. Welcome to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan, your path to a bigger, bolder retirement. Brought to you by Caden Wealth Management, a firm that specializes in serving the mobility technology industry. In this podcast, we help you maximize your resources and engineer your best retirement through a process-driven approach so you can get the little things right. Drawing from years of expertise, Jim and his guests will simplify complex wealth management strategies and explore actionable ideas to help you protect your hard-earned wealth and take control of your future. Now, on to the show. Welcome back to The Retirement Engineer. I'm Patrice Sikora, and today Jim Cruzan and I will tackle a crucial aspect of retirement planning, setting the right assumptions. Oh yeah, assumptions. They matter more than you might think. They can actually make or break your golden years. So in this episode, we'll explore seven common retirement planning mistakes and how to avoid them. That's the crucial point, Jim, how to avoid them, okay? Now, where do we start? What's first? All right. Well, hey, before we get into this, let me just uh, mention that these are the seven common mistakes that we see in our practice. Mm -hmm. I'm positive that if you were to pull a, a number of advisors, they'll come up with a different list of three or five or as many as 10 common mistakes. These we, we um, uh, put together uh, simply based on, these are the things that we see real time with real people. And in some cases, you'll, you'll notice that some of these are subtly very similar to one another, but they are separate and, and somewhat unique. So our hope, as, as you said, Patrice, is just identify these things as uh, these are potential trip lines and, and what are some of the things that we can do to, to avoid those. So the, the biggest, and we had a conversation on this just in the last episode, is Failure to understand what the retirement spending really looks like. We, we that is 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 such a difficult process. People can look at this thing and derive it from a, a number of sources. They they can look at it from a, an estimate of existing spending. They can look at check registers. They can look at their net balance uh, every month in their checking account, what's coming in from employers to kind of get an idea. And, and I would suggest that the, the best thing to do is really spend some time visioning out what you think you're going to do, who you're going to do it with, where you're going to do it, and for how many years you think you're going to do this. There's a big difference. Yeah. And just when, when you retire, and uh, don't say you're sorry. No, no. When, when you retire, Every day, Saturday, you have time. You have time. And what do you do with time? You spend. Correct. So there's an awful lot more leisure time. So if we think about what we spend today in leisure versus what we spend in in, in leisure, what we could spend in leisure when it is six Saturdays and a Sunday, mm -hmm. um, it's a whole lot different. Where we find mistakes and there are always plenty of mistakes. Um, we find we we work with a a group of individuals who clients who we would say generally are extremely detailed. They're engineers, they're scientists, they're executives, and and they are meticulous uh, about spreadsheets and and records. But even with our our engineering clients, 
when we get to that point where they're actually retired and they're now several months into retirement, we find that they'll often come back somewhat sheepishly and say, hey, you know, we, we didn't factor this in or we didn't factor that in. And sometimes the dollar amount can be small and easy to offset. In other cases, it can be quite a bit more. I can remember a, a client a number of years ago who came back and said, hey, you know, we, uh, we really didn't factor this in and, and we should have, but with the kids and, and the grandkids, we're spending on average five to 700 a month on you know, gifts. There's birthdays and confirmations and christenings and, 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 and Christmas gifts and, and all of this. And I'm saying, wow, you know, that's, that doesn't seem like a lot, but that's, that's $10,000 a year additional spend that we need to build into the budget. And that can make a big difference. Not doing the, the, the homework ahead of time is the biggest mistake. Making some assumption that you can live on a certain amount of income is a huge mistake. And sadly, we've seen way too many cases where we'll have a, a, a couple as an example, and they each have good salaries. And they're saving money in 401k and doing all the right things. And let's say that they have 100000 a year of, uh, of salary each, 200000 a year of of uh, gross wages. And uh, that winds up being something like 120,000 or so a year net that flows through their checking account. And that's kind of the lifestyle they have. That that money is used to cover all their bills and cover their, their fun stuff as well. The needs, wants, and wishes that we discussed before. And then you'll ask them a question about, well, what do you think you need to live on in retirement? And they'll come back and say, well, we thought about it a little bit. And you know, we think we need 60,000 or we think we need 80,000. Well, at first blush, I would say, well, how did you get to that number? Because you're, you're, you, you have today, it's a big 120,000. And you're saying when you retire next month, you're going to be able to pump those brakes quick enough to get down to 60. So let's, let's look at this for a second. You're telling me you can live on 60. Uh, you have 120 uh, coming in. So just how much money did you save last year above and beyond what you saved through work? Oh, well, we, we, we didn't. We, we put the money away in the 401k like you suggested. So you're telling me that you really spent 120000 last year. Well, yeah. And, and what about this year? Uh, have you saved any money this last month? Uh, no, no, we really didn't. So what is it? that you think is going to change that's going to allow you to now resize that dramatically. Uh, for somebody like that, if we can have that conversation months ahead of an official retirement date, uh, we'd be more apt to say, great, then let's do this. Let's plan on you resizing your budget right now to 60000 a year, 5000 a month. I know you've got X number of dollars coming in, but you're only going to spend 5000 a month. And let's see what that looks like for the next three months. And be honest and, about it. Be yeah. Honest. Well, you know, if you're telling me right now, I, I, I've got your balance that's in savings. I've got your balance that's in your checking account. And three months from now, we should have an additional $15,000 sitting there somewhere. 
because you're telling me you've got 10 coming in and you're only going to spend five. So we'll see what that looks like. And boy, oh boy, is that uh, <laughs> eye-opening. Inevitably, we adjust upward that number. And it makes a lot more sense to do that ahead of the retirement decision because there isn't a, to a large degree, a do-over button. And uh, it becomes, it, it creates situations where the retirement plan looks perfectly fine, wide margins for error, um, high probability of success at 60,000. At 120,000 spend, so it becomes much. a very stressful situation and a very low probability. And, and I, I would suggest that that individual is probably not a terrifically great candidate for retiring immediately. So, so it's important to have those conversations ahead of time. Do I hear you saying when you're looking at your, your retirement spending, you've got to be really careful. You can't do anything new. Oh, no. I just think it, it's important to look at budgets and, and outliers. So as, as an example, consider retirement two phases. Uh, we got the accumulation phase where you're putting X number of dollars a, a, a month away or a year away to accumulate this pot that we're going to use to spend down in retirement. And then in retirement, you've got this distribution that you're taking off the portfolio. So the, the idea is you, you just don't want to spend to the extreme. As an example, if I were still many, many years away from retirement and we've sort of budgeted out, okay, we expect that the household is going to save $30,000 a year, whether that's 401k, HSA contributions, Roth contributions, funding some investment account outside of work, whatever the case is, but that's what we're going to do. That's got to get done. Mm -hmm. And then any spending that you were to do over and above that, that's your thing. If, if that is payments to mortgages or vacations or lattes or whatever, that's fine. It becomes problematic when all of a sudden we are either now reducing our funding percentage. Uh, you know, things are kind of tight. I'm going to go from 15% savings to 12% savings because I need more cash flow to spend. If that reduction means you're not hitting those numbers, retirement is compromised. If we are falling into the habit of saving 15% in our 401ks, because that's what Jim says we need, but then we are taking loans out against the 401k on the back end to support lifestyle expense uh, oh. experiences, that is not net savings. That's a problem. And those are things that happen quite a bit during this accumulation process. On the other end of the spectrum, when we're now retired, it, it becomes more of a function of what is our total spend? What is the total amount that we need to pull off of our investment accounts to cover the shortfall? And what is the percentage that we're pulling off of those accounts relative to the, the principal? And uh, using a, a rule of thumb, like a 4% distribution rule that was derived years ago as a percentage that one can take off a portfolio and still have an inflated inflation adjusted income stream that 
has a high probability of lasting 30 years, which is essentially a, a good number to use in retirement planning. So if all of a sudden we find that we're distributing from our investment accounts something significantly greater than 4% that is unexplained and, and is now a continual process, then one would conclude that, you know, maybe we need to back off a bit on the spending, you know, and bring that number down to something that's a bit, uh, bit more reasonable. Otherwise, we're jeopardizing or potentially compromising retirement somewhere in the future. Uh, so there's those issues that we need to kind of take into consideration as well with respect to retirement income and uh, what we expect our spend to, to look like. All right. The second mistake you have here, failing yeah. to plan for contingencies. How can you plan for a yeah. contingency? You don't know what's going to happen. You, you, you can't plan for contingencies, but you can prepare for certain contingencies. You know, as an example, we have a lot of uh, engineers as clients. I've said that many times before. Uh, we have a lot of young engineers. And young engineers think they're going to live forever. They they are um, bright, and they're they they've got great salaries, and they're starting families. Well, you know what? They're they're probably maybe not quite as insured as they should be. You know, I even had to talk to my children about the importance of disability insurance. You know, the old goose that lays the golden egg. Uh, their income, their ability to work, is that goose. And as long as you have that ability, you can lay these golden eggs that will support you in the future. Uh, that gets compromised or denied. That's an issue. In terms of retirement planning, contingencies you 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 can't you can't predict. But there are a lot of contingencies that we should take into consideration, and we should have some knowledge that this might be an issue. As an example. And this, sadly, has happened way too many times. Uh, you'll have a, uh, a client who's retired on now a fixed income, and they're still supporting adult children. You know, there's, there's always that one, you know, you have three children, there's a, a chance that you'll have one that maybe doesn't quite launch like the other two may have. Or maybe there was uh, marital issues within the child's um, okay. life, and we have grandchildren involved. So all of a sudden, now we're we're supporting in some way, shape, or form in another household. Well, if you've always had that one child that you've always had to kind of backstop, and now you're facing retirement, the worst thing you can do is think it's going to stop. Well, you know, dad's retired now. We can't do this. Well, if you've done it, you're always going to continue doing it. So wouldn't it make more sense to say, all right, look, while you're working, how much on average are you spending to help support this child of yours who's an adult? What is that number? Wouldn't it make more sense to build that dollar amount as additional required annual spend in your retirement. Because if we don't, and we plan for your retirement without that spend, which more, more than likely certainly will happen, 
you're going to deny the experiences you have. Your retirement will be compromised, if not fully jeopardized down the road. And it's not just children. We should have an idea as to whether our aged parents are going to need some help. And, and if there's a high probability that at some point we may be called upon to provide support, support that we absolutely want to give, maybe that needs to be factored into the retirement analysis as well. Maybe that should be part of what this expected retirement spending would be. Because just like the example with the child that failed to launch, unexpectedly spending additional money regularly to provide support to parents can certainly jeopardize the retirement analysis as well. And it, it, it may just simply be, hey, we've got to get somebody in a couple of days a week uh, to make sure that their pills are organized or they, they no longer can drive. We need some support. We're having that conversation today with a client whose, whose parent may very well need some support at some point in time. And, and their money may run out sooner than expected. I'm talking about the parent. So the, the thought is, well, do we just wait? And, and 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 see what life expectancy will look like, and maybe it won't be an issue. But if it is an issue, then it's going to require an awful lot of support from siblings. Or do we make some adjustments today in terms of relocating the parent to a different location, adjusting and compromising on some of the expenditure today? And maybe that would require contributions from the children now, but a much, much smaller amount than what may very well be expected down the road if all of a sudden there's no additional monies to support mom or dad. So it's those kinds of things. And then in terms of contingency, the last thing I would mention is, uh, and, and, and unfortunately, this doesn't, uh, I don't think there's a, a, a lot of folk we spend a lot of time looking at what this means in terms of wealth accumulation as it relates to retirement is just when you look at the age we typically are as we have children and the age we typically are at the time that we retire out, there are oftentimes overlaps in terms of spending requirements. We have to put money away for retirement. Uh, we have to also put money away or write tuition checks for our children. And uh, very often clients will think, well, you know what? I just wrote the last, hey, I'm, I'm 59 years old and I just wrote the last tuition check to XYZ University. And now I can finally get serious about retirement planning. Wow. Not the time to do that because even though your idea is, oh, I, I, yeah, I'm perfectly fine working until 70, your employer might have an entirely different point of view. And, and what happens if uh, you're getting tapped on the next voluntary, which is somewhat less than voluntary for you, uh, all of a sudden your retirement is really compromised. So take that into consideration. Sometimes our efforts to be terrific parents and provide vastly more support for our children than our parents provided for us may indirectly 
compromise the retirement you'd want to have and in there go force a greater probability that your children these kids that you're educating may actually have to provide financial support for you because you didn't provide the support you needed in the yeah. first place right yeah as uh as so bad as it are. is and i know there's been a lot of talk on student loans here recently you can borrow your way through an education clearly you can't borrow your way through a retirement and oh, uh, and and planning for those contingencies is really really important well you kind of touched on it here and i know we touched on it in the last episode too healthcare what about underestimating healthcare that to me sounds like that could be a real I don't mean to be negative about really negative about this, but like a death knell. It uh, it, it it can be, uh, especially if you have uh, a client, a potential client, uh, uh, somebody who's facing retirement, where <laughs> retirement is is going to be somewhat of a, a challenge anyway, because maybe they didn't have the opportunity to uh, accumulate quite as much as they they would have liked. Uh, maybe they're career was cut short or they had to take some time off to, to care for an aged parent and they don't have quite as much as they would have liked to accumulate. In that case, healthcare cost as a percentage of total retirement cash flow can be quite significant, uh, which leads very little uh, outside of housing and healthcare and food for much else. And if we're in a position where our retirement is really just covering the needs and very little wiggle room to explore any of the wants. Uh, it's not the kind of retirement we'd want to brag about. There's not a lot there that we would want to share. That said, uh, I think uh, the, the biggest mistake is uh, not understanding what the real costs are, not understanding the alphabet soup of Medicare, uh, Medicare uh, supplements. These are private insurance companies that provide policies that cover the co-pays and deductibles that are set to the Medicare policy, Medicare A and B, of which B we pay for. So this is an additional cost. And there are uh, a large number of different insurance solutions, not just insurance companies, but the kind of coverage you get. And there's quite a, a, a difference in what they will cover and what they won't cover and what your exposure is, picking one versus another. So it's important to understand that. And it becomes vastly more important if the idea is uh, someone uh, is retiring before 65 because the cost to cover up to 65 and Medicare can be quite a bit more expensive uh, than the carrying cost of a, a, a Medicare uh, Medicare gap policy. So it's it's important to really understand that. And we find often if clients were to come back and uh, say, hey, we might very well need an adjustment to what is coming in the door. We might need a bit more. It's usually a, a result of, uh, of underestimating healthcare cost. So it's not just about understanding the cost involved in healthcare, but again, the earlier you can start planning for retirement, the easier it is to start anticipating some of these big decisions you're going to have. And one of them with regard to healthcare is how do we pay for it? Mm -hmm. 
if you're generally healthy, you're probably not going to be able to write off uh, Medicare expenditures because they have to exceed 10% of your adjusted gross income. And for most of us, that's a sizable amount of medical expenditure. So how do we pay for it? If we're paying for it by taking a distribution out of an IRA, then guess what? That cost, which is high anyway, we said before that medical costs are on average for a couple age 65 to end of term, $315,000. Well, heck, it could be as much as 450,000 if you had to pull 315 out net and, and pay taxes on that. So how do you pay for it? Well, this is where pre-planning, triangulation, having money in tax-free buckets, as well as taxable, as well as tax-preferred, all come into play. Fully using uh, an HSA, uh, one of our prior episodes uh, discussed in some detail the benefits of HSA. Having the ability to, in retirement, when cash flow and resources are finite, to be able to distribute money from a bucket that is uh, tax advantaged makes a big, big difference. So healthcare is an area that we see as a, uh, as a potential problem in terms of retirement planning. Pensions. There are still pensions out there. <laughs> Talk about that. Yeah. A uh, few and far between. I, I think the, the stat is something like uh, in 1980, 80, it's, it's, it's astounding. In 1980, 83% of employees in the uh, private sector, that means not working for a government, federal, state, or local, um, were covered under a traditional pension, a defined benefit plan. Not talking about defined contribution, not talking about 401k. I'm talking about a real legit pension. Today, or I should say in 2018, several years ago, uh, most recent data I could find, uh, that number is 17%. Uh, it may very well be even less than that today. But what that means is that there are a lot of baby boomers who are retiring out or will be retiring out, certainly expected to retire out over the course of the next decade, uh, that in one way, shape, or form have some exposure to a pension. It may be a pension that has been actively funded full on for their full career and is currently still actively funded. But in many cases, what we find are pensions that have uh, been uh, uh, stopped, pensions that are now dormant, uh, where the benefits stopped accruing and the benefits still out there. You'll have to make some decisions on those. And it certainly is, is, is less of a benefit. Uh, than it would have been for you had that plan stayed in existence the full career. But nonetheless, uh, you have to make some decisions. So it's important to really spend some time looking at what those benefits are. Do you annuitize that and take a monthly check for the rest of your life? And how do you go about doing that? Is it uh, straight life, meaning it uh, will pay to you? as long as you have the ability to endorse the back of the check and it stops when you stop, which means household income stops uh, upon your death, uh, that might compromise a surviving spouse, as an example. Or do you elect one of the other settlement options where your benefit is reduced from the get-go? 
as much as, well, anywhere from five to as much as 15% to then provide an extension of benefit for a surviving spouse. And that extension of benefit uh, can be 50%, two thirds, 75%, or in some cases, depending on the discount, as much as a hundred percent. And and what would that look like? And, and And what are the things we have to consider? We have to consider age. We have to consider uh, current health situation. If one is much younger or older than the other, uh, well, then extension might make some sense. If 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 one is, uh, let's say, has what we would call compromised health, uh, then maybe providing spousal benefit would not be quite as important as it would otherwise. And and if not, then what can we do differently? Uh, with respect to that, can we do something like pension max, which is, hey, maybe we take the, the 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 straight life benefit without any reduction for spouse, but then with the difference in what the pension benefit would be, being full versus being reduced, maybe there's enough money there monthly that you could buy a small life insurance policy that would provide death proceeds upon your death that would more than compensate and pay the surviving spouse what that benefit would be going forward. If the surviving spouse who is health compromised predeceases you, then you maintain the higher pension benefit for the rest of your life. And you still have some degree of, uh, of opportunity if you were to predecease your spouse to have that death proceed create a pension-like situation. The other concern regarding understanding pensions is the the lump sum benefit, and uh, the the lump sum benefit is uh, is alluring. It's attractive, and uh, in a lot of cases, people uh, make potentially poor decisions concerning taking or not taking lump sum benefit. And we've, uh, over the years, have had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of conversations with people about this specific topic. And it there are a number of factors that have to be considered, uh, financial being one. Um, how much money has already been accumulated? What is the uh, current expectation of, of drawdown on those assets? If by taking the pension as a lump sum, and we add that money to the money already existing, the money that's already accumulated, does that improve our margins for error? Does it create kind of a cherry on top of the Sunday? If we could do it before, does this improve? Does this create greater spousal protection? Because now we don't have a pension that is compromised or a pension that will provide a smaller benefit to a surviving spouse. We have the IRA that is fully transferable and the income derived from the IRA is also fully transferable. So the surviving spouse will enjoy the exact same uh, lifestyle as they would uh, prior to. Um, you also have to consider things such as clients' risk tolerances, uh, both their, their capacity to take risk and their their tolerance for risk. Uh, if somebody is really nervous 
and you've had a lot of conversation about the ebbs and flows in the market, having somebody take uh, their pension as a lump sum might not be psychologically the best thing. It's going to create significantly more stress than it would otherwise. So it's important to consider that as, as well. Uh, and then one final aspect of, of pension is a, a big mistake we see is somebody will generally take the lump sum and immediately buy an annuity uh, with it. And if it's a traditional annuity, an immediate pay payment annuity, generally the best annuity you're going to get is the calculation that's being used within the pension itself. So treating the pension as an annuity is probably a better deal than immediately going out and buying uh, uh, an annuity off the shelf. Uh, now, the, if the idea is, hey, I'm going to wait, I'll take the lump sum and five years down the road, shop for annuities. Well, you know, there might be a, a benefit to doing that. But just in terms of immediate annuity, we think there are a lot of people who are sold immediate annuities immediately post-retirement that they probably would have been better off just taking the just taking the uh, the, the, yeah. the pension in the first place. So anyway, uh, there's a lot of things to consider with respect to pension income. All right, Jim, that that's, takes us through point four. How about point five? Yeah, so point five, as we see it, is is this problem of setting it and forgetting it. Uh, you get started in a 401k, uh, you uh, elect a certain number of uh, funds, and you just never change, adjust, modify, regardless of whether fund changes have been made or not. You are very aggressive uh, early on in your career, and now as you're much, much closer to retirement, you've maintained that same aggressive nature, which creates a lot of vulnerability. We've seen a lot of people who've stepped into retirement where portfolio values were significantly higher a year or two before, had they just taken a little bit of their, their foot off the gas pedal, they would have had more money available for retirement at the time they needed it. So you just got to stay on top of things or help with your financial advisor stay on top of things. Correct. All right. And then I don't quite get this failure to understand retirement resources. Right. So we, we talked before about expenses, what we need to live on. We now need to look at what are the resources that we have to, to plug those gaps? Uh, you know, pension. We talked about just a moment ago, all the, the myriad of decisions there, uh, social security, as I'm participating in a 401k, there are many people today who are deferring the exact same percentage that they started with when they first hired in. And they have the ability today to maybe save a whole lot more. Maybe the pre-tax limits have changed and they could put $10,000 more away pre-tax, but they've never understood what those limits are. They have had the ability to fund an HSA for eight years, they've never done it, never explored what resources were available. Uh, they have the ability to fund potentially monies in a 401k on a Roth basis, and they just haven't considered doing that as well. So not only understanding what those resources look like, but understand what planning decisions need to be made to be able to execute those. If we want to take social security, if we want to 
delay taking social security to create a bigger benefit, what do we need to do from a cash flow perspective? Where do we pull dollars from? And what do those resources look like drives the equation? All right. And then your final point, which is this really wraps it up, failing to seek help. Yeah. Uh, again, sounds self-serving, uh, but it's really important. Look, doing all this stuff may very well be your hobby. It's probably not your spouse's. And if something <laughs> were to happen to you, you're leaving your loved one with a huge can of worms. So using somebody really probably makes some degree of sense. As we said before, we've retired out thousands of people. You probably will have a better experience uh, using somebody for advice in that regard than trying to do it all yourself or relying on Google or worse yet, relying on your buddies at work. And just a quick additional question. Is it ever too late to start planning? No, not at all. Uh, we, we certainly engage with clients who are well into retirement. It's a process. There are always decisions that have to come up. There are always things that can be done, whether it's to enhance retirement income, whether it is to enhance legacy opportunities. So the sooner you can engage with a competent advisor in your journey, the, the better chance there is that you'll maximize your retirement and get the bigger, bolder retirement that you deserve. So today we explored some of the key assumptions that can impact your retirement plans. From underestimating your retirement spending to the importance of exploring investment options, we have covered a lot of ground. Remember, small expenses like that weekly coffee date, gas money, they can add up quickly. So be sure to budget accordingly. Don't forget to plan for contingencies and have a backup income source in case of unexpected events. When it comes to your health care, don't underestimate the costs and the coverage you'll need. These are just a few of the assumptions that can make or break your retirement. So take the time to review and adjust them regularly. Don't hesitate to seek professional help if needed. With careful planning and informed decisions, you can pave the way to your bigger, bolder retirement and avoid any bumps along the way. Please be sure to subscribe to the Retirement Engineer podcast so you don't miss future episodes and follow at Caden Wealth on social. Let us know what you think in the comments. And we ask again, please share topics you'd like us to discuss in future episodes. Following and sharing this podcast helps our small show make a larger impact. Thank you for listening to The Retirement Engineer with Jim Cruzan. Click the follow button to be notified when new episodes become available. Visit our website at www.cadenwealth.com or give us a call at 800-638-6900. The information covered and posted represents the views and opinions of Jim Cruzan and this episode's guests, not necessarily those of Caden Wealth Management. The content has been made available for informational and educational purposes only. The content is not intended to be a substitute for professional investing advice. Always seek the advice of your financial advisor or other qualified financial service provider with any questions you may have regarding your investment planning.